Thanks for tuning in to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast, where we talk about your body, how it moves, and empowering you with the knowledge to manage and treat your pain or discomfort. You will also get an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at a successful private practice. You have the questions, and we have the answers. Now let's get moving. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast. I'm your host, Matt. And your co-host, Allie. Thanks again for joining us. And, uh, you know, one thing we talk about on the podcast is kind of how sometimes your foot and your lower leg can affect things up the chain. Right. And people have probably heard about flat-footedness. You know, I think that's just like a mean thing to say to somebody. Yeah, like an insult? Right. (laughs) Well, I guess it could be, but it's also a condition. And so we have an expert who's going to tell us a little bit more about kind of flat-footedness, treatments for, and maybe some of the effects it can have in other areas. Right. So why don't you guys hold tight, and we will get Dr. Keel back on our episode, and we'll get him on the phone. Welcome back, Dr. Keel, a guest on our podcast. Uh, And today, we're talking about a topic that many have heard of, flat feet. So thanks again, Dr. Keel, for being our guest. And uh, just remind our listeners about your specialty and kind of where you are. Yeah, I'm a a podiatrist, a podiatric surgeon uh, here in the Cincinnati area with a location of myself. I'm at uh, Fairfield as well as in Mason, but our group, Cincinnati for Foot and Ankle Care, we encompass the whole greater Cincinnati uh, area. I came to Cincinnati area about... 10 years ago now, in 2011, after doing surgical residency up in uh, Columbus, Ohio at Grant Medical Center, and prior to that, podiatry school out in Iowa at Des Moines University, and my undergraduate was at University of Illinois in Champaign. So, been out here for 10 years now, and, um, you know, we see a lot of flat feet in our, our business, and it's a good topic to discuss. Yeah, yeah. So, I think it's one of those things that has been around for so long it's like if you say that at a family party you probably get as many people as in the room's opinion on what to do to treat it right yeah i mean there and there's a lot of options to treat it i mean both Uh conservatively and surgically but uh yeah definitely a lot of people will first uh, mine would say some type of inserts whether that's dr scholl's inserts from your local Kroger or pharmacy or even custom insoles from uh, from whether we do them or another podiatrist or there's even orthotists around town that can do custom insoles as well. Those usually be are usually the main uh, mainstays of treatment that people tend to know about, but a lot of people don't know that there's other things that can be done, including uh, surgery to help correct the flat foot. Yeah. So. Is this something that develops over time, or is it something people are born with, or how does it necessarily come on? Most people with flat feet, it's more of a genetic component. Um, mm-hmm. There are driving forces uh, with, the, with the foot. Um, aquinas, or tightness of the calf muscle, is one of the driving forces for uh, flat feet. Um, but we see flat feet in most instances is more of a genetic component, but then there's also things as uh, as we see it in the pediatrics, sometimes we can have a, such thing as a coalition. It's where two bones grow together that shouldn't have grown together, mm-hmm. um, and that can cause a flat foot uh, as well. And those present themselves at uh, different times in, in people's lives. Sometimes they're in 
sometimes they're 10, 12 years old. It just depends on the type of uh, coalition, and, and that's another cause of a, of a flat foot. So in a, in a child, in a pediatric patient, is it usually brought on uh, by pain first, or do you just kind of see the deformity where the feet are flat, or what's kind of the first thing that people might notice? So most uh, pediatrics, when they come in, it's brought on more by their parents bringing them in, whether it's a concern for the flat foot or a concern that their their foot's turning outward more or they're walking, you know, they don't have an arch there or potentially not partaking in activities, and that's anything from mm-hmm. sport or even going to Kings Island or your grocery store or whatever, and they're not wanting to put weight on their foot. They're wanting to sit down. They're wanting to ride the cart. Um ride in a stroller, different things like that. So as parents see an increase in things like that, that's usually what prompts them to come in. Most kids, depending on age, don't know how to describe pain. Um, So they go to their parents and more or less want to just get off their feet and sit down. And a lot of the kids, when when you press them on what's going on and why they're sitting down, a lot of it comes down to more or less discomfort that extends all the way up into the calf muscle. Right. And do those kids grow out of the the flat foot? Do they grow out of the pain? Or are we just supporting them through the things you mentioned, like, you know, orthotics and and whatnot? So there's there's varying degrees. So yes, yes and no. I mean, some Mm -hmm. kids, um, well, let me, all of us go through phase as we're growing from pediatric to adolescence and our, our foot goes through changes. So there are stages of the game where, a flat foot is fairly normal as we're more flexible at that stage of life. Mm-hmm. And as we grow, you know, sometimes as we get older, as an adult, we don't have that that malleable or that flexibility. So as we get older, things tend to become more fixed or rigid. So when we look back, yes, as kids, there's different things you can do that potentially they would grow out of them. So not every kid that gets an orthotic at age 7, 8, 9, 10 is necessarily going to be in orthotics for life, and nor are they destined that they're going to need some type of surgical procedure. Yeah, I think that's a good point, yeah. So are there folks that you see um, into adulthood who maybe have had the deformity and then develop the onset of pain? Yes, So that's, and I would say most times with the pediatrics, we can it's amazing how quick they they can adapt as a kid to an orthotic and they do really well. And then there's a small subset of those that don't necessarily, they try the orthotics, maybe helps for a little time, and then you talk more surgical procedures. But yeah, as you come in as an adult, as we become older and older, we become less malleable or, or moldable per se. So things become more fixed. And that's when I see a flat foot in the office as an adult, most of them are complaining of pain. And that mm-hmm. pain tends to run around the inside portion of the ankle, down the inside part or arch of the foot, and then it stems all the way up into the calf. And usually patients and, as adults will describe that their pain is worse the more they're on it. And they may, the more they're on it, and, and with walking also they get some of that pain first thing in the morning when they first uh, step up. So the way I describe it to the patient is that the tendon that helps support their arch is getting overworked or fatigued. So then on evaluation, when they come in, we obviously we get some x-rays, make sure there's no arthritis or any bony abnormalities. But as from my perspective, we have to gauge 
is this what we call a flexible flat foot or a rigid flat foot or even a semi-rigid flat foot because that determines how they're going to adapt to potentially different procedures or even orthotics. Um, as the patients get older and become more rigid, if there's arthritis, that, that's a whole different uh, animal there. Yeah, so tell the listeners a little bit about how you make that assessment between the rigid, semi-rigid, or flexible uh, person with flat foot. So, and this is, it's the same whether they're a pediatric uh, patient or an adult patient. Uh, it's a simple test where we have them stand up and then essentially go to their tiptoes um, on one foot, and we watch for a recreation of that arch. And if we can see a little bit of, we call it inversion or an inward tilt of the heel and a recreation of the arch, that would be considered a flexible flat foot. Mm -hmm. If it partially comes in, it's a semi-rigid, or if it doesn't move at all but stays flat throughout, that's more of a, a, a rigid flat foot. Another test you could do is we can have them standing on their feet and then we roll their foot into what we call a subtalar neutral position, and then we lift their big toe. And when we lift on their big toe, if you see a good recreation of an arch, then that's more of the flexible flat foot. And then if you don't, then it's more the rigid type flat foot. Now, most of these patients, if they're older, and by older, I mean non-pediatric patients, mm -hmm. they'll have a lot of difficulty trying to do that single leg heel rise or to go up on their tiptoes because that tendon, what's called the posterior tibial tendon, the one that helps hold your arch, that's the one that fires at that point, and then they have difficulty getting up in those. Most of them will try to go on a tiptoe, and they can't even get off the ground. Right, right. And in terms of, like, activity modulation, what role does it play? You know, someone's 10, 12, 13-year-old um, patient, and they're starting to have some pain, playing basketball, you know, do you see a orthotic intervention? Um, you know, does that get them back to activity relatively quickly? Is it they need a season to adjust to that? What's kind of common or typical? Yeah, most times if it is the, the pain, if it's mainly due to sport, and, you know, 99% of the time they do fine without an orthotic, they're wearing good shoes and stuff like that, those types of patients, they may even respond well to more of an ankle brace. Because uh -huh. the ankle brace is going to help support that tendon on the inside of the ankle there and also support the arch. So really between ankle braces and orthotics, I mean, no, they're not necessarily off for, I mean, depending how bad the pain is, they're not necessarily off that long, especially the pediatrics. Now, some of the older or as we get into the 20s and 30s and, and the more adult patients, uh, and they've got that pain up on the inside back and it's been going for a while or however long, I mean, that's where we start looking at MRIs to see if there's any tears in those tendons on the inside, is there any tear on the ligament uh, that helps support the arch as well. Um, but some of those patients, if we need to put them in like a walking boot or something like that, and for more severe pain, they can be off it. And it, it, it's, everyone's different. I mean, some patients sure. can go in a boot for a week and do some anti-inflammatory medication and they move on about life, and others, they're in a boot four to six weeks and still having pain, and we're talking more surgical correction based on what the MRI and the x-rays would show us. Yeah. And so does the surgical treatment for flat foot deformity kind of vary based on, you know, what you find on exam as far as the tendon that's, that's stretched, or is there a gold standard that you go to? So as far as 
that's a loaded question right there. <laughs> it, it's um, surgical for flat foot. There's there's a lot of different procedures, um, sure. and it varies based on yes, physical exam as well as the X-ray and MRI findings. So if we back up and you know you look more at a pediatric patient, and I'm way more conservative with my pediatrics going to surgery. Most of them have to have failed um, physical therapy, failed orthotics. And, and it's crazy. Some of these kids, I mean, they'll have significant back pain. That's even been a couple complaints I've had um, yeah. or a few patients I've had that come in, not even complaining of foot pain, but complaining of back pain. And, you know, you look at their feet and they're, they're super flat and it's just causing issue all the way up the chain. So yeah. if they fail those things, then there's different procedures with kids. And you can talk, uh, sometimes we do bone grafting um, into the outside of the heel bone, which takes stress off the inside portion. Um, other times we even do, uh, it's called a subtalar joint arthroresis, which is, it almost looks like a bullet that fits in the outside portion of the joint just below the ankle. And it, I tell the way I describe it to kids is it works like a doorstop. It doesn't let that foot collapse anymore. It stops. Mm-hmm. It works. It stops that arch from pronating anymore. So with kids, a lot of times you talk procedures along the, those lines where sometimes a bone graft, sometimes uh, the arthroresis, but the recoveries are drastically different. So, you know, it just depends on the activity level and what their parents are expecting and, and how quick they want to get back or, or those types of things. But all these procedures on kids and adults, all we do um, either an Achilles tendon lengthening, most times, mm-hmm. I'm not saying every one of them, Achilles mm-hmm. tendon lengthening or what's called a gastrocnemius recession due to the uh, tightness in that posterior muscle group on the back of the leg. And that goes in conjunction with these types of procedures. And then when you move to adults, there's, if it's a rigid uh, type of deformity and there's arthritis and stuff like that, that usually we do an end-all procedure. We'd call it a triple arthrodesis, which means we're fusing the bones in the back part of the foot to support the, uh, and, and give you a more rectus foot type, but also support that, that tendon. And that's when there's arthritis in those joints because if we do procedures that spare the joints when they're arthritic and we we do other flat foot uh, reconstruction, but they still have an arthritic joint, they're still going to have pain. So to eradicate the pain, you have to get rid of of that joint. But we do different things, um, sometimes even what's called a tendon transfer. We take the Mm -hmm. tendon, it's called the flexor digitorum longus tendon, it's the tendon that runs somewhat adjacent to the posterior tibial tendon, and we'll actually reroute that. If the if the posterior tibial tendon is really bad, we'll reroute this tendon up through the bone on the inside of the arch to help uh, support the arch, and then we'll cut out the bad posterior tibial tendon. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that can be done, and a lot of it just depends on what we find on the exam as well as uh, the imaging that's performed. Sure. How common is it for you, um, you know, you, you talk about this a deformity, and I'm thinking most times it's going to be pretty symmetrical. So how common is it that a patient uh, unfortunately fails conservative treatment, undergoes surgery on one side, and they may or may not need it on the other side? Is that pretty common? or? Right. Uh, yeah, I would say, honestly, most of them are unilateral or one-sided. I mean, I'm not saying they have a flat foot on one side. They definitely usually sure. have a flat foot on both sides. But usually one one foot tends to be more symptomatic than others. Mm-hmm. And, and 
the reasoning for that, I don't know if I have a good reason. It's just sure. uh, whether that's their dominant foot or, or what, I don't know. But usually, now in the pediatric world, a lot of times it's it's usually complaining of both. So I would say more often than not, if they're failing in the pediatric world, more often than not, it's, it's a bilateral thing or both feet are getting fixed at some point. But sure. in the older population, you know, one may have a little more arthritis than another or, um, you know, they may have a tendon tear on one side and, and not a, not the other, and they they function well with the orthotic on, or a brace on one side, but the other has, has given out and failed, and you talk more surgical procedures. But I would say on the adult, most likely or, or more common than not, I'm just operating on one side. Yeah. Interesting. And we talked a little bit about orthotics, and you mentioned, you know, there's some options over-the-counter custom is there, uh, you know, do you kind of have a recommended pathway? Let's say someone wants to try, you know, an orthotic. Is is there an over-the-counter that you go to or, you know, a particular uh, length of time you recommend they try those? Right. So as far as the pediatric world, PowerStep actually makes a, a very good um, pediatric uh, flat-foot type orthotic, uh, mm-hmm. which has a nice arch to it and stuff like that. And kids, like I say, are fairly malleable and moldable, so they, they tolerate about anything. Sure. Um, and But that being said, as far it, with the flat foot, it's difficult to find over-the-counter inserts that are going to be, one, give you enough support, but two, are going to fit okay. Because what yeah. happens with the flat foot is that arch collapses. If you put a, a regular, let's say, size 8 insert in your shoe, the, the over-the-counter inserts or ones you find wherever, Amazon, the running stores, those are made for a fairly normal foot type, so mm-hmm. one that has a fairly normal arch. So when you put someone who's super flat on something that is actually built up in that arch, their foot actually rotates or goes over the top of that arch, and then that arch ends up digging into their foot and causing more pain. So a lot of times... When we do flat foot orthotics or we mold someone who's a flat foot, their orthotics actually come back looking almost, I'm not going to say perfectly flat, but they're flatter than what someone who has a normal arch. And what we do is we're molding them to what we call the neutral position so their foot won't pronate past that point. So it holds them up to an extent, but the other ones, they roll right over the top and it tends to dig in. So it's hard with a flat foot to do over-the-counter inserts unless it's not that bad of a flat foot. So for most of these, even the pediatrics, we're talking more of a whether it's a plaster mold or a scan-type mold um, where you're doing more of a custom-style insole. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody who's listening and said, you know what, I had orthotics and they they never felt good. I couldn't wear them. I tossed them in the closet, and I'm just dealing with it, you know, because you hear that from patients. Right, absolutely we do. So and I think is, it depends on on the type of orthotic. I mean, yeah, a lot of those patients that don't tolerate them tend to be, I would say, more of the rigid flat foot type, mm-hmm. and it, their foot is not as amenable or uh, or, you know, adaptable. And it, it, so some people, just because they have a flat foot doesn't mean they need a hard, rigid orthotic pushing up as high as we can. Some right. of those patients just need, you know, some, more of like a soft comfort support that just gives them enough, but it still gives them the cushion and, and allows their foot to fall to that position. So 
usually the people that have a lot of pain, it's more so because they're going to more of the rigid orthotic and they're just not tolerating it. Yeah, so there's options out there for them. It's not a one-size-fit-all solution. Yeah, absolutely. So, we, you know, there's there's different ones that come all the way up on the inside of the foot and, and give you max support all the way down to stuff that's a little bit softer and has a little bit more give to it. Um, the stuff that has a little bit more give to it, uh, does, like you said, doesn't give you a, as much support, but it, it may be all that they need to get them over that that hump that they have enough. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up earlier, you know, kind of the reaction up the chain, you know, into the knees and the lower back, et cetera, because, you know, when we look at a patient, um, you know, we'll talk about kind of when the foot hits the ground and, you know, what's happening to the joints up there. But I think it's important for listeners to realize uh, that maybe have never thought about this. If you've had some, you know, bilateral knee pain, bilateral hip pain, back pain, et cetera, that's been nagging and going on or come on out of the blue, and maybe you do have some flat footedness, it could be showing itself there versus not always pain in the foot. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, yeah. as far, and it depends on the pathologies too around, um, you know, I mean, if someone's got an osteoarthritic knee, I mean, it's probably more so due to that, but yes, absolutely. Sure. And we see, I would say I see uh, more of the hip and, and back pain if it's due to flat feet more so in children than, right. than adults. And, um, it, it, cause it's like, you know, you have a 13 year old that comes in or a 12 year old and they, I, I mean, this is a specific instance. I had a 12 or 13 year old girl. I'm going to say this has been seven, eight, 10 years ago now came in complaining of back pain. Her doc never looked at her foot. She went and actually had epidural injections in her back. Oh wow! And, um, and I can't, you know, she came in, I'm like, has anyone looked at your feet? No, no one's ever looked at my feet, you know? And yeah. we had her stand up, did some x-rays. I mean, she had some of the worst flat feet for a 12 or 13 year old, you know, that you've ever seen. And she's one, actually, I surgically corrected both of them. And you fix, we fixed her feet and she went on and had, you know, no further back pain. So yeah, that's great. It definitely, you know, it just depends. And on, on, like I say, how rigid the deformity is and stuff like that uh, to how they would adapt. Sure. Well, I appreciate you sharing the information with our listeners. I think uh, everybody learned a lot about flat feet and the implications and, and how we can take care of them. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks again for Dr. Keel giving us awesome information. Once again, bringing you direct access oh. to... Awesome, awesome experts. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting how we can partner physical therapy together with uh, both conservative and surgical treatments for different conditions and, you know, get patients back to the next level. Yeah, I definitely thought we were getting out of that episode without you mentioning it, but you here know, we are. You know, had to work it in. <laughs> so. Right. Um, I've also learned, you know, every time we talk to a doctor, I learn more and more every time. I might just be as qualified, you know, after we're done here. <laughs> we need a, we need a, little more episodes to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take my test later. Yeah. But no, I learned um, flat feet is not an insult, and it's actually a condition. Yep. And that might need surgery, which is sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there are, there are options. So the big thing is, I think if people are, uh, you know, struggling, having pain, noticing that, you know, observing that, reach out because there's help. Right. If you guys want to learn more about what that entails, why don't you visit our website? And in the meantime, why don't you just go click around on all of our social media pages, like and follow and leave us a review while you're at it. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, everybody. All right. Bye.
Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at OxfordPhysicalTherapy.com, and you can also find us on our social media pages like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. Remember, you do not need a doctor's referral to receive physical therapy in the state of Ohio and Kentucky, where we offer double the care for less than half the cost. You can schedule appointments online or stop into any center for a free screen, what we like to call a bee visit. Please write a review, send us a comment or message on our social media platforms, and until next time, keep it moving!